Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And we got to start off with an apology because we didn't mean to be gone for two weeks. No. Or we... even before that, I sh- should I mention that we are back <laughs> in Studio 1B <laughs> alongside the sixth fairway of the Red Tail Golf Club? Yes. In a new configuration. It obviously sounds completely different because we have new paint. That, that's definitely what it hasn't cut down on the echo like we did have upstairs yeah to be the the echoing went down to be there was less echo but there was more soft goods in to be than there were in 1b yeah but we should you know with some adjustments and uh a little bit more soft goods are, are, are you saying we need a tapestry in here um i could offer you several <laughs> uh, <laughs> tapestry not quilt tapestry <laughs> Sound dampening. No, there is no (laughs) hand-woven anything. (laughs) Bite your tongue. Um, No, we may need to look into some baffles to help the echo a wee bit. But uh, you now have doors on Mm -hmm. on the uh, studio office. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to keep one of them partially open because... Our studio audience refuses to allow to be allowed to be locked out. <laughs> or in. Yeah. Or out. Or in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, we have a studio audience <clears throat> members that are opposed to doors that are closed. Mm-hmm. Any door that is closed. Interior door. Correct. They're good with the, the exterior doors. Well, they like to pretend that there is nothing beyond the walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the the dog is allowed to disappear outside but other than that it's too scary out there but we were planning on doing a show two weeks ago it we were fully was our intent unfortunately um the day before we were scheduled to record there was a bit of a minor crisis in our village that we needed to assist with and unfortunately that meant that we could not um, we didn't have the time to get the show in. Um, now, it, it's not one of those things that, like the wildfires in California or anything like that, but it, that's why I say minor crisis. But In the grand scheme of, you know, like on a scale of 1 to 2020, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not the worst. It's just that there were bumps in the road, and um, we're part of a movement for change and improvement. And we needed to be involved. And unfortunately, by the time all of the pieces started to get put together, we were no longer able to record. Yeah. Um, But it had been our plan to do that because we knew that last weekend we were definitely going to be out because we needed a a very much needed mental health break vacation checkout, period. We had to take... Michael to a home for R&R so that his mental health could be restored. So you're saying you put me in a sanitarium? For an entire weekend and it greatly improved your attitude. (laughs) The thing is, you were there and he was there and... (laughs) I'm not saying we didn't all join you in the sanitarium, oh. but I'm saying that you you had to go to the sanitarium. No, that that is not what happened. <laughs> oh, that's not what we did? Oh, wait. We relieved all of our mental health issues with lots and lots of cheese. 
We did that. We did go to, to we, we took our lives into our own hands and we went to the un-COVID restricted state of Wisconsin. But they're now COVID restricted again. They have Kind of. They, well, they have a mandatory mask order. They have the mask order, but they're not allowed to shut anything down. Correct. Is, is what has actually happened up there. Uh, but we did spend, what, about five days? Six. Six days. Um, we lost one of them because it rained. Yeah, well, there was that. <laughs> um, in the Elkhart Lake area, which is if you're... Road America adjacent. Thank you. I was going to say, <laughs> if you're not familiar, that is the home of Road America. And, you know, while that was not the main reason at all that we went up to, to Elkhart Lake, that we, we did take the time to, to go over to Road America. And I got to say, given our experiences at Nelson's Ledges and Mid-Ohio, Road America is a really nice track. Oh, it's gorgeous. And the facilities were fantastic. And there's multiple tracks. Yes. Um, honestly, the you know we drove around, we we looked around a little bit, but we also spent about an hour in their Paddock Club gift shop. Yeah. <laughs> the, incredible gift shop, honestly. Um, lots and lots of stuff. Friendly staff, open year round. So if you're there for skiing, you should go. Pop in and any pick up a win- t-shirt. Any winter sports. Inner wi- any winter sport. There's like snowshoeing. and There's snowshoeing. There's cross-country skiing. There's snowmobiling up there. there, there I mean, there's all kinds. Ice fishing, if you're that. Insane. Okay. Every place around here ice fishes. Well, yeah. The, the silly little pond on the side of the road up the street, they have ice fishermen in yeah. their little tents. So that's where we were. We, we fully planned on doing a show... It, so that you knew that that was coming, but yeah, we didn't. <clears throat> so it looks like Studio One B, One uh, B is uh, got challenges. Well, we we all have to figure out how best to record in here as we watch the animals deal with even partially open doors. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. So in the two weeks that we were gone, nothing even, happened. I was going to say, even though we had a really boring race in that intervening two weeks there was a lot that has happened well we had a boring race and then we had a wild race yeah i I wouldn't say it was particularly exciting but it was definitely wild and unexpected unexpected in its ending (laughs) jinx but before that even happened so in heading into spa um we got word kind of not really unexpectedly, uh, of the sale of Williams F1. Yes. Now, what surprised me, you know, I I was expecting that there was probably going to be a sale of some sort. They they made it clear that um, the the team is, is, to some extent, I think, winding down its independent nature. Mm. It's the best way to put it. I mean, we've... They they already sold off Williams Advanced Engineering, which I, I think was the start of things unraveling. We knew that they were struggling this year, especially in light of uh, the delays in payments and, and not racing and the loss of... And I still want to know what happened with the loss of Rocket. Right. Because that partnership looked like it had been going so well. And about this time last year, we were holding them up as how 
uh, of a sponsorship gone right? Well, in light of what happened with uh, William Story, we get that. But yeah, they were such a good partner to Williams and I don't know what happened and if maybe that was all part of the dominoes because we just don't know how long the courtship had been and how long the negotiations had been to get them to the point that they were sold to a U.S. investment firm. Yeah, uh, they were they were sold to Doralton Capital, which is apparently backed by an investment fund called BC, the BCE Fund or BCE Investment Fund. Okay. Which initially, there were some questions raised about that because of the name BCE and Bernie Eccleston. Now, Williams, Claire has since come out and said that Bernie has not been involved in this. Um, She has spoken to Bernie since then, and she actually said that she mentioned it as a joke, and Bernie confirmed that he has no ties to this fund. This isn't him. Um, But she still speaks to Bernie and discuss the deal with him and discuss the decision around it with him. Um, But again, two weeks ago, the announcement was that the team was being sold, Doralton was going to keep the name Williams, that they respected the heritage of the team, they they respected the name of the family, and that the Williams family was still going to be in place, um, but they were doing basically an overall strategic review of the organization and operations to determine the best way to return the team to form. Exactly. And it sounded like, at the beginning, it sounded like it was... Um an injection of capital mm-hmm. um, that was so, what was so desperately needed. that, And we've done this for a while. Williams wasn't making progress because they didn't have an injection of capital to move things forward. So, well, that was some of it. The other was um, they relied way too heavily on, on Patty Lowe, and it turned out that he was... He, he made some bad choices. Right. A lot of bad choices. So... The hope was that an injection of capital, we would see probably next year some advances Mm -hmm. forward, but definitely by 2022. And then this weekend. Well, even before this weekend, Doralton had also said that there were were no no plans to move the the team out of its home in Grove to make any major significant teams or, or changes to the team. Um, but they were looking at the drivers acknowledged that, that they were assessing everything from driver lineup to everything going on within the organization. And then what was it? Thursday? Yeah. Like out of the blue. It gets announced that the Williams family and, and, and it was very interesting how they pointed this out and I'll get to that in a second, but that the Williams family, although clearly highlighting Claire and Sir Frank, were stepping away and, and um, stepping down from their roles within the team effective at the end of the Italian Grand Prix. So basically, at the end of day Sunday, they were departing the team. The team was totally unaware that this was coming. Wow. According to Claire Williams, this was entirely their decision, not Doralton's decision. And she's repeated that multiple, multiple times. Yeah, and, and, and even going so far as to say that Doralton asked them to stay on and remain with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she she gives several reasons. One is is um, the want to spend more time with the family, which I can understand. She's got young child, young family, and especially this year, that's a lot of time on the road away from the family, and it wears on people. Actually, you know, she gave an interview to Sky mm-hmm. ab- about her feelings, and I thought they were fairly. I mean, she's never been one to really mince words, but yeah, I thought it was a pretty open and honest um, interview. However, when you and I were talking about it, mm-hmm. I have to give you some credit for what I think was probably the most insightful thought as to why this decision got made. And I won't, re- if you remember what you so, said. So so is this in, in relation to what their childhood was like? Yep. Yeah, so if you've seen the the movie Williams, which is now available on both Netflix and Amazon Prime, watch it. It's it's a great tale of the family and the team and mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. But one of the things that that I think it was Claire had mentioned was in some of the leaner times, and we've heard similar stories from Eddie Jordan and, and the Jordan team and what he used to do there. Um, But she distinctly remembered in the leaner times when the debt collectors and the wardens and stuff were coming around trying to collect on overdue and outstanding invoices, being told by mom, go hide behind the couch so they don't know that we're home and they can't serve us. And while I don't think the situation has gotten to that point for the Williams family, I think there's some, she's got some concern of having to do the same with her own family at some point if things don't turn around. Well, well, I, I think that Claire and Mark, her husband, have put the protections in place that they wouldn't have to make their children necessarily hide from the debt collectors. I think that the thought was so is so fresh and the memory of how hard that was on her mind. And if you add to that, the other thing she talks a lot about in Williams is how absent her father was. Mm-hmm. It was dad's sport. Yeah. Jenny didn't get involved until dad was paralyzed. Yeah. And Jenny's her mom. And so... She lost all of those young, youthful years with her dad, who she definitely idolizes. Yes. And I think that she's looking at, I I think her toddler is like two now. Two or three. And I think that the mom in her, and thinking about the death of her own mother and the debt collectors and the mom in her looking at this child and going, I want you to recognize me and I can't give the team everything and that was what she said to sky was i can no longer give the team everything and so she couldn't give the team everything and she can't give her family everything so i think that's what was the the straw that said we've now got a path forward for the name and i think she finally could go to her own sanitarium for a while (laughs) and take that mental health break and go i'm not holding this together by stringing paper clips anymore they don't need me and I'm needed with my kid and I'm needed with my family. And keep in mind, Frank's getting older and he's under 
you know, he no longer has his wife anymore, so he's under full-time care. He's mm-hmm. not traveling anymore. I won't be surprised well, he if goes we goes to maybe two races a year. I don't think he's... Well, he's not gone at all this year because yeah. of COVID. But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear an announcement of of his death coming. I mean, it's it's on the horizon. You know, I, I, I won't go that far because... <laughs> But I think she I mean, wants to be around for the last years. She she wants to maximize her time with him. He is 76 now? I thought he was in his 80s now. No, he turned 70 at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2012. Because that was one of the things that, w- that was highlighted was that it was a, a Williams win on Frank's birthday. And... <laughs> The team was off celebrating not just the win, but Frank's birthday in the garage when the fire broke out that he was carried out by one of the mechanics. Oh. That was his 70th birthday. You know, that man knows how to party. (laughs) (laughs) Confined to a wheelchair, turning 70, and starting fires in the garage. I mean, come on. (laughs) So, you know, I I, got to really wonder about in, in, in a lot of ways, so Jonathan Noble over at Autosport thinks that this is fantastic, that the, this, the, the, the firm coming in and buying the team is great for their future and that um, the Williams family, for, for their history and all that they have done, that they have recognized that the best way for this team to move forward um, is to, to, to step away and give Doralton a clean shot at doing this and this is speaks for a great future for the team and everything that's going on, and I disagree. Honestly, I think this is. Well, I I think the sale of Advanced Engineering was the beginning of the end, and I think we're, we're slowly moving in that direction. And actually, my prediction is that within five years, Doralton is gone, and if the team isn't sold again, it's gone as well. And the reason for that, because we've seen this happen before. Doralton's an investment firm. Their sole purpose in existing is to make money. Mm-hmm. You don't make money in Formula One, period, the end. You lose money in Formula One. You spend lots and lots of money. Yeah, you may raise your profile, but you don't earn your investment back at all. And we saw this with Jenny I Capital and Lotus. And how badly that fell apart after what? Six years? And that's the concern. Is is this another Genii? Or is it... Do we have somebody sitting in Doralton... Dor- Doralton. Doralton. That is a huge F1 fan that's doing it for the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything. Is this an Eddie Jordan situation kind of type of thing where we're mm-hmm. throwing money because we love it. Yeah. Or is it a Gen AI and then they realize the math doesn't work? Yeah. So I think time will tell. Um, I'm ever hopeful that in the intervening years until they figure out that the math doesn't work, that Williams at least can move up out of the back row. It, it would be great. And, and it's going to be a matter of, again, we're probably going to, in order for that to happen, to some extent, we've got to see a similar trajectory that we saw with Jenny and I and Lotus. Now, the big difference, though, is that we have a spending cap coming. Mm-hmm. So we can't see the same obscene amounts of money being 
shoveled into a team. And, you know, that that ties back to one of the other things. Mercedes spent last year, 2019, to win that title. Their budget was over 333 million pounds. Ouch. Now, we know that's that's going to get sliced more than in half going into next year and into the future. But still, that's a massive amount of money. It's a massive amount of money. I mean, that's equal to the GDP of some small nations. Mm-hmm. And I think that you got to put that into perspective that that is a nation's funding. I mean, that's how much they spend for a whole country. Yeah. What what I honestly think is going on here, and, and I think it, it's a craptastic way they're, they're going to go about it, and it's not going to work the way they want. But what I think their strategy is, is they're looking at Haas without taking too close a look at Haas. This is an American company. And, and their thoughts are, we can go in, we can leverage the Williams name, we can buy them at a fire sale price because they're struggling, mm-hmm. and maybe make a modest investment and flip it to hopefully an American racing organization. Maybe they're thinking that they can convince you know Penske or in, in one of the IndyCar teams to expand their investment into Formula One. Because here, modest investment, you can go and take over the team and be competitive. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, okay, but what about another thought? Okay. We don't know what the portfolio of this investment firm has. No, we don't know how deep it is. And one of the thoughts I had was, and this this goes back to what happened with Rocket, what if part of this deal is that they're about to roll out a new title sponsor and what this is is an investment in the marketing of another piece of the pie? It, you know, it, it, it could be. Um, because we know that that works. That title sponsorship stuff, there's, there's a, there is a return on that. I don't know exactly how yeah. much and how that well, works. Well, it depends but, on the deal. People buy title sponsorships because they get something out of it. They're not just donating the money. Yeah. So if that's a piece of Formula One that actually works, if they have a brand that fits that model, they may have just bought their marketing engine for it. And so, I mean, you got to kind of think about it. There's a couple of different ways you can think about it. I still tell you that no investment firm, private investment firm, tends to keep companies in their portfolio longer than three to five years. So we're looking at a temporary solution to a very long-term problem. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think 2022 is going to be a turning point, and it's going to be a turning point for so very many parts of F1. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, we, we hope that we were going to see that going into 2014, and yes, it was a turning point, but it was a turning point for a team. Yes, but they've been dominant, and it's my favorite driver, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's my favorite driver. So in response to the dominance that's been going on, and in response to um, the races in Silverstone, where managing the—yeah, we're, we're back here again. Managing the tires are once again being— well, look at that. If the tires aren't working as well as everyone thinks it is, it mixes up the, the teams and it mixes up the results and 
makes things interesting because, you know, maybe you can have a car driving across the finish line with only three inflated tires. That's still awesome. Like, well, yeah, but the, really not quite what you want to happen on a regular basis. And Yes, but for exciting racing. And there is nothing on your slate of stories mm-hmm. that does not fall kind of generally under my umbrella of statement here. Every person, pundit, sports commentator, team boss, and the FIA and Liberty Media are all seeking this how to fix Formula One or how to make it more exciting or how to give the fans what they want. Mm -hmm. And the fundamental problem with it is what fans want is an actually impossible goal. And that's until all of the pundits out there understand and get that what we keep demanding is exciting races not artificially built mm-hmm. that ha- with passing on track and you know great rivalries and great stories that come out of racing that is what the fans are asking for what is being given to them is artificial constructs to try to to try to make exciting racing because we have absolute oh the other thing the fans want is they want the pinnacle of technology in these cars mm-hmm and so in order to make these super sensitive, highly technical cars, they now have to contend with things like whether or not tire deg is going to be an issue. Well, you artificially make tire deg happen or do you allow it not to happen and then you have one-stop races? Or do you have an arrow kit that is so sensitive you can't follow close enough so then you eliminate passing? one-stop races versus multiple-stop races, well, all of a sudden the passing happens in the pit lanes. Mm-hmm. All of those things are, are, quote, artificial constructs because in the fan's mind, we really want to go back to the 50s where it was a leather helmet and a handlebar mustache safety protocols and you strapped on a rocket engine on four wheels and you held on for dear life. And then we're not going to get that. Well, and and... I agree to some extent. This season has been fairly predictable. Much more predictable than we expected it to be. But, okay, so the the closest comparison that you could have to what we watch in in motorsport in in general is track and field. It's, It's different discipline, but group of folks racing and competing against each other. Mm-hmm. And when Usain Bolt, and swimming would be another one, when Usain Bolt was winning medal after medal after medal, or even Michael Phelps in swimming was winning medal after medal after medal, we nobody turned around and said, well, you know, they're winning too much. So let's make, unlike everybody else, let's have Usain Bolt, let's make his lane be made up of a four-inch deep thing of mud. And Michael Phelps, his lane should be jello, but everybody else gets to swim in water. <laughs> Nobody said we should, and, and, and I get, you know, you're, you're talking three minutes uh, as opposed to two hours, but still. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, everybody, we marvel at the continuous winning of Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And at, on one hand, the pundits and the commentators and the sports writers talk about how he is 
pushing his way to, if he is not already the greatest legend of Formula One, he is, I mean, he's nipping at the heels of all of Schumacher's records. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to tie him this year. I mean, that's... At, at a minimum. At a minimum. Well, this year he can only tie him um, for the number of championships. Yeah. And so, but he's clicked off. I, it's gotten to the point where every race is some new made-up record. It's the longest <laughs> time since this and that. All of those things, he's clicking them all off. And on one hand, he is the greatest Formula One driver in history. And then they all want to argue, but he's had the best car. Well, guess what? Schumacher had the best car when he was winning seven titles. There's a reason he has the best car. Exactly. Because if you are a skilled and talented driver and you're winning races, the team with the best car wants you. Exactly. <clears throat> and so on one hand, that's that's going on. But then humans love an underdog. And they love the thought. Like everybody starts off the year of Formula One in Melbourne, hopefully, thinking everybody's equal it is possible in that one time that one race that everybody has the same equal chance of winning that race but but they don't not in formula one and formula one is the only the only sport that i have ever been they didn't do it as much this year but they did it in almost every and we've commented on this before you go into the season and almost universally the teams talk themselves down yeah. yeah, we think this team is much better and they got to fight. You know, Mercedes, how many years did they turn around and go, yeah, we think Ferrari's got a really strong car this year. We're not so sure about this. We're going to be on our back foot. We're going to have to work at this. <laughs> and then, you know, you get to Melbourne and they blow everyone away. It's like, come on. But Red Bull used to do it too. And, and oh, but Ferrari I think would do it. And yeah, well, there was one a day we'll actually learn it that they, they were down the truth. Yeah, but that anyway. was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that that is part of the mental side of Formula One. You know, that's the part that says, oh, well, you know, we've been sandbagging it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there is a moment as we start Q1 of that first <clears throat> race where it's possible. And everybody, every it's human nature for us all to want to believe in that possibility. And I get it. I get people are tired of saying, oh, well, it's going to be a Hamilton Botas 1-2 because they've got the strongest car and they're the strongest drivers. And, you know, what about these other really great drivers? Do you know what I'm tired of hearing? Is that Max Verstappen is poised for a world championship. Yeah. He is, but he's also 22. And it's not his turn yet. And he's still got to get there, and he doesn't have the machine to get there yet. And yes, he's going to be a great driver. And yes, he's going to be a world champion someday. But he's not the one we have in front of us right now. Yeah, but a lot of folks are waiting for the time that the champion gets dethroned. In, and that's what they're all, and, they're and, all counting And it's on. not just the champion gets dethroned. It's... Champion gets dethroned by another team. Because how many people were actually excited that Nico Rosberg won a title? I was not. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So 
Um, error tweaks coming for 2021, 10% less downforce, apparently. 5% of that's already been accounted for by changes to the floor regulations that went into effect already this year. But it's this idea of, of making it harder to manage the tires, harder to drive the cars, and maybe that'll mix things up, you know, like, oh, the the whole power mode thing, which ridiculous, but. I really just like the power mode thing. Yeah. Um, Christian Horner has come out and said that the one-stop races that we have, right, that's the reason why F1's been boring right now. Not because teams can't keep up and they're not challenging or we can't follow close. He says that it, it's the one-stop races and that when we have multiple stop races, um, it mixes things up. There's change differences in strategies that teams can have and you know they've got to manage the tires and that's where I, I, I remind Christian that 2012 and 2013 and even into 2014 with the high degradation tires that were forcing them to have more pit stops you were complaining about that You're right that the racing isn't exciting and that the racing is boring they have to and manage the tires mm-hmm. and so they can't push you flat can't out push and the cars are too easy to drive and blah lift blah lift and blah, coast blah. lift yep. and coast yeah, the lifting coast and all of that stuff. So we got races like Russia with a one-stop race. And, and the first time we had a one-stop race in Russia, everybody looked at each other and said, wow, this is what we wanted. And it kind of sucked. <laughs> Duh. Exactly. <laughs> Duh. Um, other things that, that the FIA is taking a look at. So the super license system has become a concern due to COVID-19. So the requirement to, to, especially if you're a junior driver um, that is not in Formula One currently, in order to earn your super license, you need to earn 40 points across three seasons in other championships, whether that's Formula Two, whether that's IndyCar, whether that's F3, whatever, it has to be a sanction where you've got to get 40 points. The problem is this year, seasons have been cut short. Mm. So there's less opportunity to earn points. It may make it harder, if not impossible, for some drivers to hit the, those, that 40 points. So they are conducting a review of what it's going to actually look like and may revise that for 21 to make sure that they're not unfairly excluding people due to conditions that were outside of their control. I think double points for 2020. No. So, the Racing Point situation. Brake ducks. Brake ducks. The new engine. So, when we last spoke, yes, only two teams were remaining with their challenges. Actually, three teams were remaining with their challenges in place. Racing Point, who was upset over the penalties, mm-hmm. and Renault and Ferrari. Ferrari has now announced that they are dropping their appeal. And they're actually the last one. And, and I'm mentioning them first. But they were the they are the last team outside of Racing Point to announce that they are dropping their appeal of the decision. And okay. this was that they felt that it was not... Harsh enough. Right. Um, Ferrari's position, like the other teams, and Renault has also announced that they have dropped the appeal as well. Um, they are saying that the proposed changes that nobody's actually seen, but just the fact that, that Formula One and the FIA are going to 
take steps to change the rules to prevent the wholesale copying as Racing Point has done, it they're happy with that and they're dropping their challenges because they're, they're dropping their appeals because of that commitment. That has not happened as of yet. Okay. Um so that's where we are. I, I assume Racing Point is not going to drop their appeal because they want their points back. Right. We'll see. But the other bit of rent uh, of Renault news is that it was announced this week that Renault Sport F1 team will no longer exist at the end of the season. Now, don't get all crazy. <laughs> Oh, my word. You're like a clickbait headline. Yes. <laughs> I want everybody to go, what? No. No, 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 no. They're rebranding to their motorsport division, Alpine, or is it Alpine? So so Alpine is not the motorsport division. Renault it's Sport it. is, is the motorsport division. They're rebranding the Formula One team only. It doesn't sound like this is trickling down to any of their other motorsport stuff. But they're rebranding that in line with their high-performance brand, which is what Alpine is. I thought Alpine competed in some other racing. The branding does, but it is a a performance brand like um, BMW M or Mercedes AMG or that kind of a thing. So it's not their race team brand, which is Renault Sport. That's not what I meant. I meant more of it was their performance brand, right. but that Alpine is branded in other motorsports is what I was trying to say, but I have been schooled. Yeah, so the brand has been around in rallying and sports cars, um, was in the FIA World Endurance was in the FIA World Endurance Championship in the LMP2 class, um, and they provided a chassis for Orica. Um, who ran the Signatech Alpine, or is it Alpine? I don't know which. Um, but one of the things that they plan on doing is, so right now, the Renault Sport team races in yellow and black. Are they not going to be Team Banana anymore? They are not going to be Team Banana. Um, they actually will be racing in blue, representing France, and running the, the national tricar. Oh, Wow. So return to the very, very early days of Renault and Motorsport, running the French Blue. Well, that's cool to start seeing the brands run the historic country colors. Yeah. Um, You know, obviously, it would be really nice if maybe Williams went green. (laughs) Except green's not... British racing green? No. Green has not traditionally been Williams' color. Right. That's where I was going with <laughs> No, but the country colors. So Yes. Italy was red, hence mm-hmm. Ferrari. France Not was... was, is. Is. France's was blue. Mm-hmm. And England's was green. Right. And the U.S., I think it's red and... It's blue and white, I think, is the U.S. Hmm. So those colors specific... Technically, they still exist. Right. So teams can still run those national colors per the FIA's regs if they wanted to. It's not a requirement, but those specifications are still out there. Uh, Germany, I believe, is black or orange? No. I think it was black because it was them removing the black that became silver arrows. Could be. Anyway, so 
the not just is the team rebranding as Alpine or Alpine, we're not sure which. We'll, we'll, so we'll we will say months. both until yeah. such a time that we get told. But Cyril Abitbull has been named the head of the division within Renault. Mm. Now, Renault will still be the engine supplier for the team. They'll still technically be a works team, but the Renault will be the engine supplier for the team. Cool. So, so it's a new name, new color. Yeah. In other driver news, we heard all the rumors ramping up about Sebastian Vettel possibly going to Racing Point. Um, Sergio Perez says that he is not, he, he is confirmed, he is not talking to other teams. He is confident that his role at the team is secure and that he is not leaving Racing Point for 2021 and will not be replaced for 2021 at Racing Point. Does that mean that Junior Stroll would be replaced to get Vettel? Huh? <laughs> we don't know. I would still say it is highly unlikely that Dad is going to fire him, but we don't know. It would make a Christmas dinner a little complicated. <laughs> Well, I'm sure Dad would find some other way to keep Junior happy. Oh, sure. He'd probably buy him a different sports car team. So, so our studio audience is once again joining in. So that then begs the question of, well, okay, we heard so much about Sebastian heading over to to racing point what's happening with him what's the deal happening you know other than the fact that he's leaving we know that the door has been closed on so many teams now what seb has has spoken what what he has admitted to is that he has confirmed that he did speak to reno about a drive before they signed fernando and they opted to go with fernando which i think is an interesting choice I'm betting Fernando was cheaper than Vettel. Possibly. And Fernando has also said, by the way, he plans that, so that's a two-year deal that he's getting. He fully intends that that is going to be his final two years in Formula One, okay. regardless of what happens. Um, there are things that he wants to wrap up and things that he is hoping to achieve in those last two years, but he does not believe that another world championship is possible in those final two years. Whoa. Yeah. Maybe Fernando has had some maturity? Uh, I'm not so sure about maturity as much as reality. Also possible. Um, But um, Seb confirmed he spoke with Renault and said that there were, quote, loose talks with Racing Point. Interesting. Um, he did say, though, that he is um, committed to Formula One. He only wants to be in Formula One, and he has no interest in changing series, which means that he is not considering, at least for now, a shift into IndyCar. Or any other mm-hmm. race series. Well, there's not. I mean... So, so you're talking IndyCar or WEC would probably be his only two options. Yeah. And I've never heard of him doing any kind of um, anything other than open wheel racing. 
That's the difference. Or even express any interest in it. Yeah, because I know that when Kimmy left the sport, he went over into, was it NASCAR or one of the feeders for NASCAR? He went to NASCAR for a stretch. Um, He did rallying first. He likes rallying. He did rallying for a stretch. Um, You know, Jensen Button and, and Mark Weber went to at least WEC for Le Mans. He's never expressed any interest in any of those series that we've seen. No, he's a, he's very singularly focused. Maybe no. Well, he hasn't even mentioned Formula E because I mean that would be the only other window. Yeah, but I think he'd think that was too much of a demotion. Yeah, I I don't know. So I mean, he could he'd he'd be following Felipe Massa. Yeah. But he's a four-time world champion, and Felipe Masso is not. Is not. Was a world champion for what? Thirty seconds. No, because the season hadn't ended yet. <laughs> exactly. He was leading the championship. the championship. He was not the champion. Um. But I had heard that there is some discussion or talk or theory about possibly Sebastian looking at a non-driving role, and. Well, we do know that Sebastian, with everything that has gone on around Williams, Sebastian has bought himself a seat in Williams. He did. He did. It just happens to be Nigel Mansell's old seat. Yeah, he, 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 he bought Nigel Mansell's world championship winning car. But he now owns another world championship winning car. So. Yes. <laughs> I mean, There's that. <laughs> it does make you wonder... Why Nigel doesn't have that car? Well, I, I know why. Because... They didn't always give them out or sell them. Yeah, they, they didn't always give them out. I think Nigel didn't want to buy... Well, I don't think the car was available for purchase up until Williams started looking to shed assets again. Yeah. And it's a question of who moved fast, I think. And the, the truth is, one of the things that... that has been widely acknowledged about Sebastian Vettel is that he really does love and respect the history of the sport. Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily all of the records and all the other things, but he does appreciate the historical aspects of the sport, and, and he likes that. So that brings us to a team that we know has two open seats. Mm-hmm. For next year, well, potentially has two has two drivers coming out of contract at the end of this season. That would be Haas. Yes. That Gunther Steiner said, "Hey Seb, give us a call. Hmm? We we we'd be interested. Come on, we can talk." Um, Are we going to revive our short list of drivers that Haas could bring on board, like we have every other year? <laughs> No, we, we didn't do that. The, the previous years, it was the drivers that could be replaced Kimi Räikkönen in a Ferrari. <laughs> that was the list. <laughs> who was who on the short list to replace Kimi Räikkönen in a Ferrari? That was the but list. But I think at one point, I was on the short list to replace anybody at Haas. Because <laughs> no, at the time... Not Haas. You were, you were on the short list at Renault. Oh, was I on the short list for Renault? Yeah, that's what it was. Anyway. So, <laughs> Gunther Steiner says all the options are open and on the table, including replacing both drivers. 
And they need to. Yeah. Um, but he also said that what he wants and what they're looking for is a two-year deal. Whoever they, whoever they go with, they really want somebody for two years, which is interesting because right now Roman Grosjean is in a one-year deal because, as you recall last year, their reason for re-signing Roman was because they gave him a crap car and they felt they owed him something better. And in response, they signed him for another year and gave him a crappier car. Yes. I think that's <laughs> totally reasonable, right? Yeah. So we can all admit that the racing has not been consistently exciting this year we, no. we've we've had a few that were unexpected and but one of the things that that i will say that and, and i mean even just listening to us you catch it over the years because of the various restrictions around radio communications we're not getting as much and we're certainly not getting as much good radio communications as we used to in the past it's not as entertaining can I will can I caveat that with the most recent uh, visual package <clears throat> that includes transcribing? That is nice. That is nice because it's when often they do it really hard to understand what's yeah. being said. When they do it, it's not consistent yet, but it is better. And and the fact that we're getting um, even some of the calls that we don't hear that we're seeing the text for that that's nice too. Mm-hmm. You just don't know that it's there until it's there. Right. But that's nice. Toto Wolf, however, has said that, you know, one of the things that Formula One should consider doing is opening up the internal team communications. So his reasoning for this is he says, you know, despite the fact that we are strongly in the lead in a lot of these races and there's, they can be a bit boring and it looks like we've got everything under control and everything settled. If you could hear some of the internal communications it gets quite tense, mm. especially as they start getting concerns about reliability. And while we as fans may hear through the world feed a snippet or two here and there from exchanges with the driver, if you have more of the internal communications, it may paint a very different picture of just how tense it is as opposed to what they've relayed to the driver. Interesting. So I don't know. It, it could be. You know, the, the issue is, since we there's not enough of it for us to hear to know, I mean, I, I would like to know maybe if Toto Wolf or Mattia Bonotto, when things go really bad, if they start yelling, <laughs> that kind of a thing could be interesting. You want to see Toto lose his cool? Because he could cuss in like, what, five languages? Well, so we've seen the video of it. I mean, it, it has been fairly... Famous. It has gone viral several times within F1 circles of the times that something goes bad and Toto punches the desk. Mm-hmm. Set to music. that It's been <laughs> choreographed fairly interesting, especially some of the heavy metal stuff. It's been... <laughs> I mean, do you really need to hear a Gunther start making up new cuss words? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you didn't even hesitate do, with that do one. Do not pass go. <laughs> now... The FIA and Formula One and the broadcasters might not appreciate it because of how much they'd have to bleep it. But yes. (laughs) Okay. So we had the Italian Grand Prix, which going into it, especially after Spa, I'm like, yeah, Mercedes is going to walk away with this. This is just... Actually, when picking our fantasy GP picks, you said, and I quote, Mm -hmm. you would be crazy if you did not pick Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Yeah, and, and 
especially based on the last four races. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you? Exactly. And knowing the fact that this is, you know, the high speed, low drag track that Mercedes is going to be strong at, why would you go any other direction? Exactly. It didn't make any sense. And what cost them at least the win from a Hamilton perspective was only partially their fault. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the penalty and what happened in that whole scenario. Um, and we're assuming at this point that you have seen it and Lewis Hamilton getting his, the 10 second stop go penalty for going into the pit lane um, when it was closed. And I called it. As soon as that happened, I said, they are probably going to close that pit lane. Mm-hmm. And and Mercedes' position was, and, and even Lewis's position was, well, we don't understand why they even closed the pit lane in the first place. They could have just rolled the car backwards. But what I don't think that you could see at ground level that we could see in all the overhead shots is that there was no room in that little cutout to move the car. Their only option was to roll it into the pit lane. And the minute they were at that situation, they didn't have a choice. They had to close the pit lane. Yeah. So the, the complaint I have is they put the safety car out and closed the pit lane in the exact same moment. And that's where I think that they because it is so unusual for them to close the pit lane that yes, you got to give props to eight other teams that got it right um, for being aware of it. But I think they heard safety car and it was, I'm right here. There is no, you know, he, he was right on it. Yeah. And so I feel sorry for him. I thought the penalty was too harsh, honestly. But but there's there's other pieces, and, and I don't for what it was and the nature of it and why I, I don't think it was too harsh. the The reality is pit lane is closed means pit lane is closed, and they don't want you in there because it's a dangerous situation for the folks on the pits and around the pits and the driver coming in. So I I, I don't from from that perspective I don't have an issue with it. Where I have the issue, and and actually let's talk, let's have Toto's comments first as to what happened. So Toto said it was a weird sequence of events that maybe we could have spotted earlier. So the decisions that were taken were highly unusual, but were absolutely within the rules. The car parked uh, to the right in the parabolica, on the inside of the parabolica, there was a single yellow, and 11 seconds later, a safety car was deployed. Once the safety car was deployed, they put the pit entry to the, pit lane on red but it wasn't exactly red and this was one of the things that then when I kept showing the slowdown I was trying to figure out what the boards were looking because I'm like I don't know what they're talking about with red it's not red it looked to me like they were flashing the safety car the yellow SC mm-hmm. is, is what I interpreted what I could see and we were seeing it in slow motion as opposed to full speed but he said once the safety car was deployed they put the pit the entry to the pit lane on red but it wasn't exactly red it was two yellow crosses on the outside one of the strategists just shouted into the radio whilst we were entering the pit lane there was confusion we can't see the signs and this is just a sequence of events that screwed lewis's race not happy but you have to take it on the chin 
And Lewis even said, I didn't see the board, so I take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. Where I have the, the problem with this, one is, is you're talking, and, and yes, 11 seconds, where was Lewis in relation to the Parabolica when this started and when that popped up? And, and there's some question there as to whether or not they necessarily, since the safety car was out, whether or not I think they necessarily needed to shut the pit lane down immediately or they could have bunched up the grid since the safety car came out that slows everybody down automatically. So it dramatically lowers the risk, especially in a dry race. If it was a wet race, it'd be a different story. Mm-hmm. But in a dry race that slows everybody down, that changes, that, that changes the dynamic a bit, bunch the grid up, get them all past the pit lane, and then close it and do what you need to do. I, I could have seen that. But the biggest issue there, so yes, the team had very little time. To, they had 11 seconds to respond and catch that. And 11 seconds can be a bit, but the catch that it was on the screen at the pit lane was closed. But if you're Lewis and you know you've got to dive into that pit lane pretty quick and get in there, all of those boards are not just on the outside of the Parabolica, but they are far on the outside because the Parabolica has that massive runoff. And if you're a driver, what you are taught, what, what they do is they look to the inside of the corner where they are turning, not to the outside of the corner. So where he was looking was where there were no boards. And when he rolled into the pit lane at the entrance, the, the Marshall Station, it was right there. It was a guy holding a sign that said SC for safety car and another guy waving yellow flags. Mm-hmm. And there's no light anywhere at the entrance where a driver would be looking in the parabolica to warn them of the situation. Well, that's the problem. That's definitely the problem. The other problem is, and you called it out, but we're taught in racing. We're taught when we're driving Mm -hmm. in general, look where you are going, look Mm -hmm. through the curve, look all of those things. Well, if not 50 or 60 feet off to your Outside That's how you miss apexes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he needed to judge and get into the pit lane. So the minute he heard safety car come up on the, the mm-hmm. radio, he's thinking, I'm diving into the pit. I mean, he was already yep. going down that path. So he's already thinking about the pit lane. And the team was ready for it. Right. So, yeah. And it's a series of unfortunate events, yes. It, you know... My issue, I don't like the the penalty. I don't like the penalty, not necessarily because I don't think that it was the right penalty. Had that incident happened in a vacuum, I might have been more on board with it. But the very fact that right after that they had to red flag the race because Charles LeCarc hit the the, uh, Armco um, and they had to rebuild a tire wall, that Lewis had... If they had only removed the advantage Lewis had gotten by diving into the pits when it was closed, which should be what the result of a penalty should be, is remove the advantage, that would have been one thing. But to send him all the way to the back of the grid... Well, see, so that's... That's where I have an issue. but, But the thing is, they can't control that. The reality is, red flag or not, because of what happened, whether you had the red flag or not, that put Lewis... Lewis was in the front of the, the, the pack. Mm-hmm. He was in the front of the pack because he dived into the pits when he shouldn't have. 
Now, if he'd stayed out, he probably would have been fine too, but they had to assess it based on the conditions that were going on when the event happened, not what happened three laps later. So that, that's issue number one. Issue number two was so that that paused the race. They had to turn around and assess the penalty. And if there was another safety car, it would have been a very similar situation as well. But be, whether they were red flagged and all bunched together or there was another safety car and they were all bunched together or just the field had not strung out by the time they made the decision to give him that penalty. He still has three laps under green flag racing that he has to take it. And if that field doesn't string out, it still puts him at the back of the grid no matter what. Now, and at the end of the day, it's a safety issue. Now, on that plus side and proof that Lewis is an amazing driver, he finished... Seventh? Um, he finished, I think, sixth with the fastest lap. Uh, no, I think yeah. he missed. They predicted sixth, then he got seventh with the fastest lap. I had it a second. Oh, that's Toto's comments. Um, seventh in the fastest lap. Um, now, my other issue with the whole thing is listening to the commentators on Sky Sports saying, this is why we should have reversed grids. Well, I don't want to get to that just yet. Okay. So, because there was one other thing with Lewis. So, so Lewis has freely accepted the blame for not seeing the boards, and he should have seen that before coming in. But the other question was, as you recall, when we went to the red flag session, Lewis took off. So what Lewis did is he did not go to the race director. He did not go to Michael Massey. He went to the stewards to act, to get more info and to find out what happened. Um, so Lewis said he came back, spoke to the team. The team didn't have video, and he wanted to know what he missed. Um, he said, I could have sworn on the entry to the pit lane there was no red light. So it wasn't to see Michael Massey. It was to see the other stewards who made the decisions with the penalties. They just quickly showed me the onboard, and there were two signs that had an X on it. I actually didn't see them because I was looking elsewhere. Again, looking at the inside of the corner. Um, then there was not really much more to me for, for me to do, so I just left, went back, got changed, and ultimately that's why I was a little bit late to the grid. Um, he, he said he didn't remember any time that he had been to Monza in the past, and I can believe this, um, that there was an indicator for the pit lane closing. So he didn't know that that would be on the left. That was new to him. Um Toto also said, where was it? From the pit wall, you can't see those yellow crosses. And if the driver doesn't spot them, which I believe is absolutely truth, the only way you can see that the pit lane was closed was on page four of the FIA communication systems. Nobody looks at that page when the safety car is deployed. The driver is about to come into the pits. Everything is concerned about the pit stop. So this is where, again, the drivers behind him caught it. And that's the question is... And Giovinazzi did. Right. But that's the other question is, how did the other drivers catch it or the other teams catch it and he did not? If it, you know, it, it's... Yeah. I, I get all the things that Toto is saying and I get the idea of he's looking at the apex and he's not looking at the signs, but the guy right behind him caught it. 
what what we don't know is what other communications were going on between the teams and the drivers mm-hmm. and was there so so Toto said that as he was coming in the strategist was on the radio yelling and by then it was too late w- did the other ones catch it quick enough for the strategist on it fast enough to say stay out pit lane closed was there something else some of them because they had already slowed down they may have caught the flashing and realized it well the other thing is keep in mind i think he was eight seconds ahead of the car behind him Mm -hmm. and so if it was 11 seconds from the safety car coming out that's almost 20 seconds it was almost 20 seconds for that to filter through yeah so if you kind of think about even just having that extra eight seconds to get to the same point that Mm -hmm. lewis was when the strategist was yelling everybody else had a lifetime in formula one Mm -hmm. to catch up so okay um, now that doesn't explain why Giovinazzi completely missed it too. Yeah. But whatever. Okay. But it's a, he's not, he's not lost his championship bid. He's still up, you know, he's still ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, he still pulled off the fastest lap. I mean, he was lapping a second faster than the second and a half than the lead of the race pushing through the grid to get to where he got, mm-hmm. um, to come back in half race distance. I mean, Honestly, that's pretty impressive to me. Honestly, very impressive. And on the other hand, the part of the statement that I made earlier, which was humans love underdogs, it was really kind of nice to see young kids up on that podium for the first time. Yeah, but you want to complain about reverse grids. No, I just don't want to have them happen. I'm against them. I may be the only person out there that's against reverse grids, but I just think that, again, just because somebody's winning, they don't... But but one of the things that that I think, the way you're taking that proposal, and this is where you may be wrong in how you... They're not talking the Sunday main race to be reverse grid. They're talking about qualifying being a reverse grid sprint race correct which based on what everyone has been saying and as we saw could actually be kind of interesting could be i i I have serious concerns not to mention the fact that one of the things that people love about qualifying and again i go back to that failed year of qualifying of qualifying actually works it does so why would we screw up screw around with qualifying when what we really need to do is look at passing and stuff on the on the track but one thing people really really like about qualifying is that is the one moment in all of an f1 weekend where we get to see the car absolutely flat out so how about this so you do and and yes there's increased risk you get rid of P3, replace that with a, the traditional qualifying session that we normally see. You replace our traditional qualifying session that we see in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon with a reverse grid sprint race based on the results of qualifying. And you still run your Sunday race based on your morning qualifying results. So if Lewis Hamilton gets pull in... Saturday morning qualifying, he still has pole Sunday. But 
you can still do, a, and, and you're getting more racing action at work. You do in the afternoon, maybe a half diff, distance sprint race with a reverse grid based on the morning qualifying. For and maybe points? That's, maybe that's only in, instead of half, I wouldn't even do half points. I'd say it's quarter points. So it could have an impact, but it's not double dobby. It's not engineered. You're still reliant on the performance. And in a tight battle, it could make some difference, but it's still some difference based on actual on-track racing and action as opposed to, hey, let's do double points. <laughs> okay. I, I, I might be down with that because I don't want to lose... What I don't want to lose is that moment where we get to see a car and a driver at one mm -hmm. at the peak and pushing with all their might, which is Q3. And that's what, I mean, when we talk about all the artificial things that happen in Formula One to try to make it better, all of the complaints are around having to manage something that we can never see the drivers drive flat out. That is the one like protect that because it's the one time that the fans get to see a driver drive flat out. Now, I think before they do that, though, they should get rid of blue flag rules. So if fastest driver laps the field and comes across two back markers who are racing each other for position, two back markers should not have to worry about getting out of the way of fastest driver fastest driver needs to use his racecraft to navigate through the situation without losing too much time to the person behind him that would which be is how it used to be that would be interesting also anyway so we had our red flag after charles leclerc um and lance stroll found himself in a very lucky position Yes. Um, particularly the fact that um, he got a free pit stop out of that. Completely. Totally and completely. And, and, you know, on one hand, that's great. It worked out that way. And, you know, if they had had a traditional safety car, maybe that wouldn't have... Well, he still would have gotten a cheaper pit stop. Mm -hmm. um, Leonard Norris was pissed about it. Why? Uh, well, be, specifically because of the fact that here he was... Um, running third for most of that race, pitted early and worked his way up. And the only reason why Lance Stroll started in a position that he did was because he hadn't pitted yet. And he got a free pit stop and didn't have to pit again. And as a result, when the race restarted, he, he ended up ultimately behind Lance. Now, the team came out and said, you know, we understand it, but that's the rules, and yeah. we accept it, and we're good with that, but... I get it. I mean, there was another race. It was a Melbourne race um, a couple of years ago that somebody had an advantage of... In a no, it was a no-pit stop. Yeah. We've had... And it may have actually been a racing point, or a Force India, that was in that situation. We, we've had it happen once in a while, but it's also one of those things that we don't have red flags once in a while. And while the teams go and try and predict a safety car and the impact on a race and their pit strategies, 
um, I, I don't think that they should be planning on, and, and I don't think Racing Point was planning on a, a red flag as part of their race strategy. <laughs> that should not have been something I mean, they planned on. Unfortunately, for those of us who don't like Lance Stroll, this was a situation where the racing gods once again were smiling down on him. Yes, but it was a little bit fun that he was basically handed a front, a, a, a first and he fell back almost instantly. Yeah. So y- He's y- not that good. <laughs> the racing gods might have smiled, but they blinked. <laughs> All right. So Pierre Gasly. Winner. Winner. The second time a Toro Rosso, well, let's go with the Red Bull Junior team. Yes. Has not just won a race, but won a race at at Monza, right. of all places. The fastest track on the, the, the entire series, and not the fastest car, wins the race. Although this time, it was dry. Correct. So the last time it happened, when, when Sebastian Vettel won, it was a wet race. Wasn't that Vettel's first It was Vettel's win? first ever win that cemented his rise into Red Bull in the first place. Got it. And of course now, Pierre Gasly is going, you know, if, if Red Bull wants me, I, I am ready. I can do this. Let, let's go. Um, and I think this is where Red Bull's really got a challenge here because... Yeah, they they sent Pierre down. Some say prematurely, mm-hmm. and, and he may not have actually been ready for the seat. But they brought Alex up, and and Alex has been struggling. I'm not sure Alex has been as bad as some of the criticism that has been leveled at him. But when Alex is running around in the back of the grid, and the junior team is consistently beating him, not not so much consistently beating him, but when the junior team won the race. Because he wasn't up there with Verstappen. I think that does put his position in danger. If not, I mean, yes, we know Red Bull has a history of yanking drivers in the middle of the season. I think they want to stick with Alex through this, just from the way they're talking. I think they want to stick Alex through the season. One of the things I think they, they know very well. Um, obviously, there's still scars there from the Vettel-Weber battles. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex gets along well with Max. And there's very few fireworks between the two of them. And even though Alex is not challenging Max, he's not fighting with Max. Which and, is key. Mm-hmm. And I th- one of the things that Gasly made clear last year when he came up into the team was that he wanted to challenge Max and wanted to challenge Max regularly. And I think the concern over the potential friction that that's going to cause, one, it was part of the reason why he was sent down as quickly as he was, but also why they're not in a rush to bring him back. I can understand that. But I think that if you know there was a team out there that could really use a good up-and-coming driver... Um, that mm-hmm. would be looking for a market for a nice two-year deal for somebody that might be a little disgruntled with the Red Bull organization, Haas, and could give somebody a decent drive, Gasly should be somebody you might want to look at. Yeah, you know, if you're Pierre Gasly and you've got either a good head on your shoulders or a good manager, 
and I'm not sure he has either, mm-hmm. you, you're looking for not a trip back up to Red Bull. You're looking for a similar course like Carlos Sainz took. Yeah. Of how can you pop out of the organization into a team that's going to give you a fighting chance to show, to shine, as opposed to playing second fiddle to Max Verstappen. Yeah, it's a top-tier team, but you're second fiddle to Max Verstappen, and you always will be if you go there. And that's the challenge with being in Red Bull and, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, to being in Mercedes. And Ferrari. Yeah. Right now, we have three top drivers Mm -hmm. and three top teams, and every one of them has a B driver. Yeah. And, you know, the, the theory behind why Ferrari picked up Carlos Sainz as opposed to Daniel Ricciardo, the theory, and, and this is Jolian Palmer and, and the folks over at the, the folks over at the BBC have said that yes, Carlos is a good driver and he's a strong driver. He is not at the same caliber as Charles Leclerc, and they want somebody who will drive alongside and support Charles, not fight with Charles, which they're getting with Seb. And they, they, the, the talk also is that that was why they passed Daniel Ricciardo. Interesting. Yeah. Which should be very interesting to see Ricciardo in a McLaren. Yeah. It, well, especially since um, we are seeing glimpses of McLaren's return to form. Mm-hmm. And truly, if that car is as strong as it appears to be, um, with a Mercedes engine in it, it could actually be a contender. It could be. Now, we, we could have a four-horse race, which yeah. would be nice. Now, what we do not know is how much the design of that car needs to be changed to accommodate the Mercedes. Mm-hmm. That could have an impact. We don't know. And we know that they've definitely been challenged when they've changed engines before, if they have to change the design. Well, there, there was that, but there was also, when they brought in that Honda, they tried to go with that super low profile, low what, and, and that didn't help the situation. No. So, you know, that, that very tight packaging. So, next, we, we finally have a finalized calendar for the year. Yay! Um, and we are con- actually before we even get to that next where we head next is the Tuscan Grand Prix in the Ferrari owned circuit of Mugello nice so gives Ferrari a second chance in 2020 to not only have a home Grand Prix but to screw up their home Grand Prix yes <laughs> there's something sp- you know, I've talked about human nature quite a bit this this show there's something special about watching Ferrari fail at home <laughs> You know, especially after last year. So, yeah. our, our 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 next race is uh, Mugello at the Tuscan Grand Prix, and at this point, they are on track. And keep in mind, we are less than a week away at this point. They are on track to have fans at the circuit. Wow! Um, they have opened up twenty eight hundred tickets each day, um, and I do not know if that includes uh, Ferrari has been given permission to invite members of several of the Ferrari clubs to attend as well. So I don't know if that 2800 includes their invited folks in addition or with that. 2800 is like next it's, to nothing. No, it, it it's not a lot, but it's more than we've seen. 
Um, especially since, and, and I didn't get confirmation of it. I heard rumblings that they were going to allow 250 doctors and nurses um, from the region into uh, Monza. Ah. 250. Yeah, but still. So we're, we're slowly ramping up. Um, basically, they're dividing it up. A uh, thousand in one. Yeah, split 2,800 across three grandstands is how they're going to split that up. A thousand in two of them and 800 in the other. Okay. So, um, since this is, well, I don't know if this is actually their 1,000th Grand Prix or the, the Grand Prix that they're celebrating is their 1,000. <laughs> one of the two. We're they, not sure which They one. do play fast and loose with that. I, I mean, keep in mind, again... We had our 70th anniversary Grand Prix that may or may not been on the actual 70th anniversary. Oh, it wasn't even close. So there you go. So <laughs> it, it may be the same May. Thing. So, but, but they're holding their 1,000th uh, Grand Prix celebration over at Ferrari. Um, they are actually going to run a one-off livery to celebrate the event. Okay. So initially, I was kind of interested. You know, what it, what are they going to do? Is you know, Ferraris they they tend to be kind of same in their liveries. Hey, Those let are. me take a wild guess. It's going to be red. Yes. And white. Uh, no word on white, but it's going to be a darker shade of red. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It, it will be a, their special livery will be a darker shade of red matching the design used by Ferrari back in 1950. Okay. That, yeah, it, it does not sound like this is going to be anything like the, the Silver Arrows commemorative livery from last year. That looked amazing, but apparently just uh, was a waste. Well, yeah, maybe maybe Ferrari has taken a note from what happened to Mercedes and that they won't do the big heritage thing and really spotlight the screw-up. Honestly, I think if you're a Tifosi you're going to be happy as long as one of those cars survives into the top 10 at Mugello. That's it. Well, that's yeah. going to be a win for this team at this point. And that's really sad. And the fact that that's what the Devosi will be uh, celebrating is even sadder. But then again, just seeing a Ferrari makes the Devosi go crazy. So, yeah. 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 They just have to show up and the Devosi go nuts. Well, that's their job. That's why they're the Tavosi. 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 Not Tavosi. There's no V. I thought it was D. No. T. Tavosi. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so calendar has been finalized. Seventeen races this season. We, we finally know, know how many points are possible. Know how many points are possible. We know when the season's going to end, and we know where we're going. Um, and Formula One is. And, and I got to give them credit here. They are continuing to, to follow some non-traditional circuits. They're continuing to go to places that we have not been and do things we have not done in, in a very long time, or if at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we mentioned, and we all knew this, Tuscan Grand Prix is next weekend. We get a weekend off, uh, and then we're headed to Sochi. Okay. Um, from there, the, the series heads to Nürburgring again, which 
on one hand, yay, we're going back to a track we haven't been to in a while. On the other, I don't remember that track ever producing good racing. The Grand Prix track. Right. As opposed to the big track. And a reminder again, because folks got excited. They saw Nürburgring. It's not the same. <laughs> not the good track. Um, from there, uh, October 25th is the Portuguese Grand Prix in Algarve that Formula One hasn't been to. There's going to be tire testing there too, which I don't know why, since this isn't a place that Formula One goes to. But there's going to be tire testing there. Hey. Um, then we go to uh, Imola on November 1st for just two days. I know, but it's Imola. Yeah. Really hopeful that that... I'm, I'm hopeful for a good experience yeah. at Imola. I really hope that... That seals Imola return to the calendar, honestly. But the third time in a season, Formula One will be in Italy. Yeah. The little Ferraris, you better like figure something out so that they can at least show up. Well, actually, okay, so so the real pressure here. So Mugello owns, uh, is owned by Ferrari. Monza is traditionally Ferrari's home race. But Imola is actually close, is very adjacent to Fanzia. Mm-hmm. So while, yeah, the Alpha Torres were excited. They won Monza, technically home race because they're an Italian team. Really, their home track, their home race should be Imola. Yeah. It's like less than 20 miles away from well, their plant. I mean, it, it, they're, they're really adjacent, adjacent. Let's hope that they show well, but let's hope that we don't have another catastrophic experience yeah. for so, my guy. So the new races that have been announced. On November 15th, Formula One will return to Istanbul Istanbul Park for the Turkish Grand Prix. Not Constantinople? Not Constantinople. Um, And word is, and obviously this is from before we were following Formula One, but word is everybody liked going to that track. Nice. So we're hoping that we will get some good races out of that. Um on November 29th, uh, Formula One returns to Bahrain at the Bahrain International Circuit. And that is going to be our traditional layout there. Okay. On December 6th will be the Sakir Grand Prix at the Bahrain International Circuit, which will use the outer, and, and, and they put it in parentheses, or, or not parentheses, in quotes, oval circuit. It has some bins, but they're it, not corners. Yeah, it, it, they're it's bins. not a true oval, um, but the layout is about a kilometer shorter than any other track, including Monaco. So they're talking something like 55 second laps. Uh, something like that. Um, probably about an 88 lap race. Wow. So the layout is and has been grade one certified. But it has, they have never run Formula One cars on that layout. Um, and I, I think even Formula One has come out and said that, yeah, it's grade one certified. It's really not designed for Formula One cars. So this could be really interesting. In either version of that word. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the expectation is that these will be, just like Monza, lowest of low drag cars for as much speed as possible for this circuit. Yeah. So we, we might get the Monza that we were expecting at that race. Cool. <laughs> that could be nice. 
and then the final race of the season will be December 13th in uh, Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina. Not a double Dhabi. It's not been a double Dhabi <laughs> in years. <laughs> it's okay. So. Well, I'm just excited that we finally know how many races so that we'll know exactly the point when Lewis Hamilton wins the world championship title. Yeah, we will know that soon. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure the Boffins are, are calculating that now. And they, they, they better be. Um, like I mentioned, we've got the Oval. Now, the Turkish Grand Prix, not only are they excited to bring folks back, but they are targeting 100,000 fans. Wow. So we'll have to keep an eye on it and see where that goes. We, we do know that um, Portugal is planning on hosting fans. Um, Sochi is, and we haven't heard anything on how the tickets are selling for Sochi. Mm-mm. But we know that Sochi is planning on, ho- on hosting fans and, and Imola is planning on hosting fans. So we shall see. I haven't heard anything about Abu Dhabi or Bahrain with fans. We shall see. Hopefully that's a sign that things are globally returning to a little bit of normal. And this is about the time of year where we start looking at the 2021 calendar. <laughs> so we don't have a provisional calendar yet. And, and I have a suspicion that they're going to list everything as provisional mm-hmm. um, when, it, when it does come out um, because I, I think they're going to need to do some extra contingency planning. However, Zanbort has already stepped up, and, and, and again, they have reaffirmed they, they want to host a race with fans. If they can't have fans there, it's not worth it doing. But they, if you recall, this year they are originally scheduled to be fairly early in the season. Um, they have stood up and said that, you know, if, we can, if this is what it's going to take for us to have fans, push us back later in the calendar. Right. But fans are important to us. We want to be on a calendar, but if that means later in the year, let's do it. Okay. And, you know, we talked about in our last show the run-up to the Indianapolis 500 and where one Fernando Alonso ended up. Right. He didn't have a great race. Actually, so I know some folks were really upset with how the Indy 500 played out. We're not going to get into that, but Jean Todd was present at the race. Oh, was he? Yeah. Um, and John Todd issued some comments and said that, you know, it would be fantastic for Formula One to come back to Indianapolis. And Indianapolis would be great for Formula One. Now, I'm fairly certain, I'm not, I'm not positive, we'd have to go look it up, but I'm fairly certain that the last time that Formula One was in Indianapolis, John Todd was a team principal and was involved in that debacle. <laughs> So for him to turn around and say, hey, let's go back, seems like an odd choice of words. <laughs> However, in grand scheme of things, given um, our location of the fabulous Studio it, it, 1B. It would be great for us. We would be pro going back to Indianapolis. It, it would be good. Honestly, from what we have seen, in, in, in our limited track experience, I would much rather see um, Road America go for grade one status. That would be super interesting. And that's beautiful. I, I, I think that would be an excellent course for Formula One to go to. Now, what I don't know is whether or not it's wide enough to have some good passing, but the layout 
much better than mid-Ohio in terms of variations for turns and grades and all of that. And I think it's a longer track, too. Yeah, it's but, four miles. Yeah. They would need to do some, some significant upgrading to their garage facilities to pull it off. <laughs> True. True. But. But beautiful, beautiful track. If you get a chance, you should go. Mm-hmm. So that that actually got us to the end of our stories. No. It did. All of the things that happened while we were gone. Now everybody is caught up? Ish. Ish. I mean, there's other stuff that happened that we elected not to talk about, but ish. All right. But I think on that note, we'll call it a show. All right. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.